Hi, I'm Alex Kaola, and you're listening to Intuition Calling, the podcast designed to help you self-actualize. My background as a corporate leader turned professional intuitive and executive coach has provided me with a ton of insight into the process of understanding human potential, growth, and the pursuit of our calling. I believe that in order to navigate our path with confidence, we have to strengthen the resonance of our intuition so that when it calls you, you're ready to answer. Each episode, I answer your questions, either solo or with another intuitive leader. You can write in with your questions to me on Instagram at High Priestess of Brooklyn. Now, let's start our call. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Intuition Calling. So excited to have you here. And we have Kimo Capano on the line today and actually next week as well because the conversation was so fulsome, we had to make it into two parts. So Kimo Capano is an Aboriginal Hawaiian high seer. He works as a multi-sensory energy healer, a spiritual psychic medium, and educator. Kimo has over two decades of educational experience and has learned to work with doctors and scientists to help validate how intuitive vibrations and maladies have a common language in the body. And I think many of you may know this, but Kimo is my psychic teacher. That's what I call him. Um, but we got connected a few years ago because he was starting to bring his intuitive offering into a professional experience. And not only did I need psychic development work at that time, but my background is helping um, startups, let's say, or helping uh, leaders and startups executives to build their businesses and grow their brands and understand how to set things up from a foundational sense and to also move through um, things like worth and um, operational pieces of the business so that the creative visionary, let's say, or the one who will be sharing their intuitive gifts can sort of shine and not let a lot of those other details either trip them up or bog them down. So um, Kimo has been very trusting of me in that process as I have been trusting of him in his helping me process and develop. So it's such a wonderful symbiotic relationship as you will be able to see from this conversation here from this conversation. Um, but in that same vein, in the startup realm, and especially in sales organizations, there's a phrase called ABC, which is always be closing. Now, chemo has a little bit of a different spin on that, which is ABT, always be teaching. As you heard from the introduction, chemo has over two decades of educational experience. And so he is really always coming from that place of either introducing new information and doing so in a way in multiple different ways to help that information like land and resonate 
And so because of that, because there were so many bangers in these episodes, we just had to split it up. There was just so much that came out of this conversation, which was really valuable. Um, So I do suggest having a notebook handy or however you keep notes uh, at the ready or bookmark this episode and bookmark this episode, I should say, because... In my experience with working with chemo, a lot of the things that he says and a lot of, I think, what comes out in this conversation will probably land more so over time. Give it space to breathe, land in your body, in your mind, and be able to be applied. So we discuss numerous different topics like how chemo is able to see trauma in the body and how that's stored in your body. And as we know, the body keeps the score, but I think it's really interesting to hear from his perspective kind of how that actually lands for him and how he's able to see that. Um, We talk about everybody's favorite topic, at least nowadays, which is shadow work, or maybe not everybody's favorite topic, but a hot topic. And this idea that as we grow and as we develop, we do encounter our shadow, a a pain, and how we can move through that experience and what to do when we get to that edge and that opportunity for growth that might be scary. Um, that definitely includes the shadow. And even the spiritual ramification of cancel culture, which is pretty interesting. Uh, we talk about it in pertinence to a couple different uh, people in the public eye and being evaluated or being like, in one case, somewhat canceled or lightly canceled. And I think using that as an example to sort of bring in the spiritual component of what that actually means when we're canceling someone, even if we don't agree with their words, behaviors, ethics, um, just kind of what that means, not only for that individual, but then for us as individuals and in the collective. So super interesting conversation. I'm so excited for you all to listen. As a reminder, you can rate and subscribe this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. And it is so helpful as we grow. So we would really appreciate it. And without further, please welcome my good friend and my teacher, Kimo Capano. Kimo, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you about intuitive concepts. And I think where you're at right now in your career, which is super interesting and the insights that you've gotten from doing this work professionally for a couple years now. I mean, the official, yeah, the official launch of like the business business is now only a few years old. You know, we were always dabbling. Always dabbling. (laughs) And really quick, just to orient to your energy and for everybody listening, what's your sun, moon, and rising? This is a good question. And I have only learned 
part of this from you because I have never been a, an astrologer. I know that I'm, I'm dominant yeah. Aries. In terms of sun, moon, and rising, I'm going to need reminders because I don't have that knowledge. And you're lucky that I have all this information at the ready for you. Oh, I'm um, so it's so, so helpful for me to orient to your energy to just remember some of these things. So for everybody listening, Chemo is, yes, an Aries sun, but he's a Scorpio moon and a Capricorn rising. Capricorn rising is the same as mine. Scorpio moon is the same as mine. Aries sun is different. So it doesn't mean we're exactly the same, but we have a lot of similar elements in our chart. For Capricorn risings, mm -hmm. and this is for everybody listening to, your ruling planet is Saturn. Saturn is the planet of like lessons and hard truths and um, structure. And so the way you want to orient to the world is by giving it structure, by you like systems, you like to ground into certain things, tangibility, evidence. Your word is evidence. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. And lessons, teaching, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you give that to other people as well. Um, your moon in Scorpio is also in the 10th house like me. And that is really a desire to be emotionally fulfilled by your career. But also Scorpio mm -hmm. is an inherently very psychic sign. So there's also a real desire to share your psychic knowledge in a public way. So we have that in common. Right. And then all your Aries placements are in the third house of communication, um, of daily, uh, yeah, your neighborhood, getting to know your community. And your community is very important to you, where you come from, all of the practices that you grew up with, and being able to express yourself very fully and openly was okay in your environment, which I think is really powerful. So kind of cool backstory there. I, I think it's wonderful. And maybe I'll do a little bit of uh, explanation for any of the listeners who are like, but who is this guy? <laughs> who is chemo besides your placements? <laughs> <laughs> When it comes, and I'm going to tie back in the teaching in just a moment. So I am, I'm known aboriginally as what is called a Kanaka Maori High Seer, which just translates into a native-born, native, born, native uh, bloodline, Hawaiian origin that is able to tune into the microcosms, into the quantum fields, into spirit energy, into healing energy, and more. Now, let's go back to, to teaching for a moment. It is always been in my life sign to teach. And I have tried when I was a little child to veer away from that. I've tried for years to, I don't want to be an educator. My father was an educator. My mother was an educator. I don't want to do that. But yet I couldn't hide from the fact that it was innately natural to me. I remember being seven years old and my mother was preparing a lesson and she asked me a question because she was teaching other kids my age. And she says, Kimo, hey, what about this? What do you think about this? And I remember just being in fluidity saying, think about it like this, Ma. And I said something, and I remember watching her face go, ooh. And then she went, and she taught her lesson. She came back, and I remember asking, so how did that go? She goes, that was amazing. 
And it was interesting at seven to clock and to realize in cognition, oh, that just came so naturally, but I don't want to do that. And I tried for years to not do that. But by the time I was 16 years old, I realized that I, I couldn't hide from anymore. So I started to teach workshop style by the time I was 16, working with little itty bitties and then other people my age. And then eventually started to work with my, my educators and my teachers Why did you well. want to move away from so, it? Because evidentially, I didn't want to be like my father. And my father, energetically, is this enormous, expansive individual, very, very tuned in, one of the kindest men that you would ever meet. In terms of his seventh energetic sign, he is very much a green. Right? And I thought, I don't want to be like that. But I can't hide that in my seventh energetic system, I'm also very green like mm. <laughs> not alien green and different shading of green but it, it, and if anyone is wondering what does that mean our seventh energetic spectrum is way above where our auric layers are very different than the chakra colors those are all different color systems and aura is only in second and third energetic system sixth and seventh then we go into the color spectrums of all things magical, soul-related. I love that you brought this up because my next question is, what are the intuitive languages that have worked for you to understand yourself more deeply and more fully? Well, yeah. The, I'm going to introduce some new language. And this new language I have found is much more encompassing than what is mm-hmm. conventional. Because when we are going through our, our development, if you go through development, and I highly encourage all of your listeners to go through development, which means please go beyond what is just your instinct and your hunch. Please go beyond that by seeking validations and seeking individuals like you and I are able to bounce off of each other. Please seek that guidance out. But when you start to go beyond that, you will find that you will have resonances and different kinds of clairs, which is clear senses, which are psychic senses. You'll have resonance with different kinds of psychic senses that don't ruminate around the psychic senses that you read about or against the psychic senses that were taught in psychic institutions. And there's a variety of psychic institutions that we are taught. We are taught our, our conventional four, which are hot and amazing. And we need to get to know what those conventional four are, which is cognition, clairaudience, clair sentient, and clairvoyance. We have to get to know that so we understand what the basis of the rules are. When we start to tune into our psychic senses, we many of the times will incorporate two more. That is our clairalient abilities, our ability to smell, and clairgustance, our ability to taste. When you start to lean into the healing abilities, you start to lean into your clair empathy, which is a reflection and cognition of emotional energy. Mm. And I would greatly encourage you, if you aren't meeting with a practitioner who is offering some kind of healing and insight, if they do not have a strong grasp on what is autonomously their emotional frequency and understanding your emotional frequency, then I would say walk away because your healer must understand the frequency. of How would you tell somebody, sorry to to interrupt, but I think that's a really important um, thread to pull as I pull a thread from a blanket in front of me. What... How would you determine if your practitioner has that ability or does not have that ability? Are you talking about things like projection? And yeah, just talk about that a little bit more. Yes. The very first thing I always suggest before you lean into asking any advice from a practitioner or inviting them into your circle, because you are inviting them into your life to offer you insight and more, you have to vet them. 
vet the way that they speak, communicate, the way that you can look for reviews or word of mouth, what is the significance of change that people have had. And if you walk into the practitioner and they appear to be glassy, if they appear to be regurgitating, if they uh, appear to just be giving you platitudes, it is not appropriate for you to be working with them. So that kind of garage healer is appropriate for people who are looking for garage work. <laughs> I love how you, yeah, you use right? garage psychic. Um, and I use corner store or corner, like <laughs> corner store. street side yes. psychic. Like when people walk by a psychic in New York, right. And they're like, mm-hmm. there's like a sandwich mm-hmm. board and it's like, come in for whatever. Um, I love the term glassy. Um, almost like, a there's a plastic nature to them. Yep. There's a reflective barrier in front of them. And there's a difference between reflective barrier of, I see my emotions, I reflect emotions versus I see my emotions, your emotions, no matter what you are going through, do not permeate my field because I do not mm. feel them. And we want our practitioners to be able to be in service to our emotions so that way they can be in service right. to our healing. That would be really picking up on someone's trauma response, let's say, because there are people that I've worked with and I know you have the same experience, but even friends that I remember in college coming to me and saying, I had a healer tell me that my aura is gray and she's been working with me for seven weeks on repairing my aura and uh, really giving that person a very traumatic experience uh, to be, to be honest on top of trauma because they want to extract money or value in some way from the person. Absolutely. And it really also shows lack of development from that healer. Let me give you an example. So just yesterday I was working with a client and I work with an average between five and seven clients a day, trying to cut down a little bit. So I was working with a client and I do a mini ethical tune-in before they join. And then we do a duet ethical tune-in together after they've joined. But when I do my ethical tune-in beforehand, what am I doing? I'm taking a look at a few of the things that I know that I can see before they actually join. And I do that so I am unbiased, I'm unprejudiced, and I don't change my opinion based on how they look, where they're located, what, what they're going through, what their trauma response is. So I create all these systems of charts and curriculums ahead of time. I was meeting with a client yesterday, and when I went to tune into their colors, which is why I like to do colors ahead of time, I want to know that you are like this. I want to take notes. I'm going to give you evidence of that so you can say, there's no way you could have known that. You couldn't have looked that up on Google. There's no way that you could have known that about me. When I tuned in ahead of time to this individual's colors, yes, I am looking at the seven spectrum of color, but I'm also taking a look at their auric field. Why? If I look at their auric field, I'll be able to identify what is the emotion that's ruminating right now and how do my my emotions tend to drop easily into different spectrums of energy, which manifest into color. And this individual had a very large gray-like color over their auric field. And then the aura itself had been diminished a little bit. So what does that tell me prior to them joining? It tells me when this client enters the Zoom room, I know that they are going to be experiencing some kind of grief, some kind of stagnation, convoluted emotions, or some kind of depression. So I make a note of that. 
So when the client joins, sure enough, clear as day, gray like aura, and then I ask inquisitive questions. Here's what I saw. May I offer you evidence on what that is based on? And if they say yes, and they can always say no, then I offer them evidence of what it is. And then we go a step further with the tune in together to say, let's talk about where it is inside of the body. Well, why? They might ask. We do that inside of the body because we understand that electromagnetic energy affects our surroundings um, going on around us because of our emotional energy. So now we have to excavate the emotional energy and we always find it. The reason why I'm saying that is if you are ever told that you have gray on the aura and they cannot identify, validate, and help you extrapolate that energy out within an hour, bye. Goodbye. I think it's- Bye. Right. And- Well, I think what you said too is really important because you said it could be any one of these different things. And so in my work with them, Mm -hmm. in our work as practitioners- it is up to the person to divulge what they're ready to divulge to you would think that people would be very open to divulging grief to somebody like you or me, but that's not always the case. And if their blockages uh, are up, that's happened to me before where somebody shares at the very end of a session, what's actually going on with them. They were not ready to share anything throughout the whole session. So it felt like moving through mud really. And, but it is the autonomous nature of, clicking those barriers on or off that are really up to you as the the person who's the Mm -hmm. sitter, let's say, or the one who's seeking out the guidance. It it is up to you because we want to make sure that there is autonomy in there. Now, we don't want to give them so many options that they say, well, it could be anything you're just guessing. And this is where we go beyond the garage work. So for someone like me, when I'm looking at that energy, say that it's gray, I pay very close attention to where the gray is. Is it over the crown? Is it on the right? Is it on the left? Is it in the center of the body? Is it in the sternum? Is it in the bladder? Is it in the right adrenal? Is it in S1, S2, S3? I pay close attention to where in the body that is. So that way, when I communicate to them, when I look at your colors, it's ruminating around this part of the body. I know that you're having some kind of problem in that part of the body. And they will say, how did you know that? Because that's Mm -hmm. where it is. And then contingent on what side of the body will give you an indicator of how old Mm. it is. Right side means one thing for me, left side means something else. Now, because I also have the gift of sight, then I become nosy and I tell them, you don't actually ever have to tell me what the trauma is. Because once we start to extrapolate it, when I push in, I will see a variation of what it is, kind of like Mm. a movie screen. And it plays out visually for me. So many of the times people believe that I'm reading their minds. I'm not. I'm just able to see what happens in the etheric realm. And it's almost as if their memory creates a visualization because I'm, I've learned to read like Morse code, all of the different energetic zones and what happens in color and memory and more. So then I get an indicator of what it is and we extrapolate. So what would the goal be for, let's say a client who comes in with the grief and the depression And is the goal really up to them? Are you trying to help them transmute that energy to release that energy? Does it depend on the client? Like, tell me more about that. So it's it's all of the above. So when that client came in and she showed up and sure enough, clear as day, here's exactly where that color was in that exact part of the body. I offer a little bit of a breadcrumb to say, so we're going to go wherever you want us to go today, but let me just let you know that I've done a few things in advance. Here's what shows up. Would you like me to press in further? And 
it's very rare that they show up with any of that color and they say no because they find you because you this right. is what you do. And if they say no, then I allow them to vacillate towards something else with me having no agenda. I have an idea, an outline, a curriculum of things that I know that I can offer, but it's got to be bespoke right. because not everyone is ready to stand inside of, of the shadow. Not everyone is and ready. And it's to uncomfortable, do that. which so, is why they sought you out in the first place. But sometimes, but depending on how long they've known that, how old that is, you can also get very comfortable in your energetic fields. Oh, absolutely. And, and here's why I like identifying how long it's been there. So I'll give you an example. For me, when I see energy on the right and the left, and this is specific to Kimo, this might be specific to some of your listeners as well. I don't want anyone to say that this is exactly how it has to be for everyone on the planet. But when I see energy stagnation predominantly on the right side of the body, I've learned that that means that this is what I'm going through that's happening between my now moment and the last five to seven years. If it transitions to the left, that tells me I am experiencing this residually from approximately seven years and older. So already I get an indicator of that. And then contingent on how low it drops into the body and where in the body will also tell me how much you've tried to hide that. So for example, if it's left shoulder, that will tell me, okay, so this is going to be older than seven years or so. It's also going to be an emotion that you quickly tap into. If it drops further in the body, specifically around the sacral and root energy, it tells me, oh, you are working very hard to hide that bad boy. You don't feel comfortable talking about it easily. You are in a state of repression because it is so challenging to you and it's very old in the body. So again, we're narrowing down already when someone says, huh, well, that could be a variety of emotions that are connected to grief. And I'll say, okay, it's not going to feel like this. It's going to feel like this. Oh, well, then that's right. going to be this. And then I take a look at what that gray is covering. Is that gray covering green? Is that gray covering red? And again, now we're working beyond aura colors. We're working on the body's natural ability to store emotional memory. And emotional memory vibrates as a mm. color spectrum. There's a lot. We're, we're There's so much. Well, right it's now. really <laughs> important to just dive right in. And I think it's really also for everybody listening. And you mentioned this before. This is what I was talking about with how intuition comes through to all of us really differently. Now, chemo is extremely experienced in his method. Your experience is from three years old and from seeing this and from learning how to dial it up, dial it down figuring out what your boundaries are, pushing past boundaries in certain instances, and really just having this like very well-formed methodology for the way you work with someone, that's completely unique to you, which I think is really important to hear more about, to see like, oh, when we're talking about development, like this is where your development can go. Anyone can get to that level with daily work, <laughs> practice, many, many, many hours of development work. Can, exactly. And one of the things that I say is, even though I'm, I'm acutely aware that being able to start tuning in by the time I was three years old, it did offer me a lot of privilege in the way that I'm able to tune in spiritually. But I don't want anyone to feel like, well, therefore, I can't get that way because I'm only tuning into it now and I'm in my 40s, I'm in my 50s, right. I'm in my 60s. There is no finish line to any of this. And there's no beginning of the line to any of this. Energy is not prejudiced. 
So it doesn't matter when you engage with it as long as you make choice to engage. So my ultimate goal, and this again is you vetting your practitioner, and I say this as much as I can on my social media platforms when I'm speaking with guests and more, is the goal is to get you to learn how to do what I'm doing, but in your mm. way. So in order to tune in to, yes, I can remove things from the body. And that, that's a very that's a very scary thing to say out loud. And that's the thing that I shied away from, from for years, which was, if I can see it in the body, can I redirect it out? And I knew that I always could. And now I'm vocalizing that. I never vocalized that before because I didn't want all the people that were sick to come to me. Now that I'm older and I've learned a lot more, I don't mind that. So we redirect the discomfort in the body, but that's not enough for me. Not only do we redirect the discomfort that you are experiencing in the body, but I teach you how to do it consistently. Mm. So it's in, in essence, a formulation of ancient Hawaiian high healing work as shadow mm. work, as modern modality shadow work. But you've got to learn how to do it. Otherwise, you will become dependent on me. And then therefore, I have not right. done my job. Exactly. That I love what you said about giving people tangible next steps and practice to do on their own. But you also said another very buzzy mm. term, which is called shadow work. Mm. This came up in a session today and I want to get your feedback on it because it's something I really believe. Yeah. And it's, it's a theory. Now we don't have to go mining for our shadow. It will come up very <laughs> readily and available to us and we'll know what we need to deal with. Yes. I completely agree. I think that if you don't readily know what your shadow work is, then I would say, well, then allow it to enter the room when it's designed to enter. The thing with shadow work is if we go excavating for shadow work and mining for shadow work, it's it's almost as if you're hunting for, for trauma, but trauma is organic. Trauma happens when it happens. All of a sudden, your husband says something to you and your brain says, I don't like it when you say that to me. But they were to say, but why? And your mind says, because it always reminds me of what my first boyfriend used to say to me. And I hated that. Well, great. Guess what? It's not about uh-huh. your husband. That is about what your unresolved shadow was with that first boyfriend. So that is an organic process as opposed to saying, what kind of shadow can I find today? Well, if you aren't experiencing any kind of trauma or bias today, then it's going to be hard to find. And it should be an organic process, which also means that it's lifelong. Totally, totally, totally. It's, I think that when shadow work practitioners hear that, they think, I've, I've, I've felt this from some, let me just say it like this without any bias, that sometimes mm-hmm. it sounds like, well, then I don't have a job. No, honey. You actually mm. have more of a job because when the thing that I think is most valuable in our work is when people have potency of something that they're working through, because guess what? You're fucking motivated to work through it with us. Like it's test time and you gotta, you gotta figure this out. This is important to you. And therefore you're invested. You say you have skin in the game. This is challenging because you are such a really good fertilizer. And, and, one, and if people don't know, the way that I met you is that we were recommended to meet to each other, right? And I didn't know you, you didn't know me, but we were recommended that we should meet. And the thing that happened instantly within the first few hours of meeting you is that you already fertilized new thought for me. 
And I am a true mm-hmm. generator, meaning that my thoughts are fast and they happen rapidly and they are always moving. And I don't mean I'm the most intelligent man in the world. What I mean is my ability to create new thought, a new idea, I'm always inventing always, always inventing new curriculum, new thought process, new work, new modalities. I've done this my entire life. But you were able to offer me just within a few hours the ability to say, think about it like this. And it changed my trajectory. Now, for example, because I am who I am, I, I am. I, I have very big opinions. I want to be able to help individuals out. When I first opened my practice unofficially, when I was just meeting with family friends and friends of friends, my chemo personality was present, but so was my mm-hmm. bias, meaning that if I had people show up that were lazy in nature, my reaction was, stop, wake up. What are you doing? Knock it off. What you just said, I'm sure you've already heard this before. Yeah, I have. Then why did you come to me? Listen to that. That's heat yeah. in my voice. That is bias in my voice because I'm agitated. There's Aries in your voice. And when I <laughs> Right, exactly. And when I work teaching, I teach workshops and I have, I've run classrooms for over two decades in New York City. I respond that way to everyone, even to three-year-old children. Stop. No, we don't do that. We do not bite. We do not bite. <laughs> Here's how we're going to work. But when we go to the spiritual process, our spirituality is so nuanced that we then have to remember to put ourselves in fluidity because you're, you're going to get the neophytes. You're going to get the people who are incredibly advanced. You're going to get the doctors in the room. You're going to get the scientists in the room, the CEOs in the room. And if you were to fall into social arc, um, the social archipelago of like how do things build, then technically spirituality, we'd be low on the, on the, on the line. But we don't look right. at it that way. We look at how, are, how are we are in fluidity. And when we are in fluidity, we can work with the neophyte. We can work with the nescient individual. And we can also work with a doctor and a scientist who might have more intellect than we possess, but we are in fluidity to the information. With no Absolutely. No, Hard. it's, it's so true. It's, it's why I think in my practice, I've really started to lean more into coaching because coaching is fertilizing, you know, it's, it's actually helping people who really, that's what their desire is. And so being very clear, what is your goal? What do you want to do? Because mm-hmm. it's going to feel uncomfortable. Um, and you're, you're similar in this way. It's going to feel uncomfortable sometimes to have somebody kind of poking or pushing or like excavating something. It's not, even if you're in fluidity, even if you're, you know, delivering it in the, in the most, in the highest good, it's still going to feel uncomfortable right. sometimes because spiritual growth is growth in general is, is, is a bit of pain. And that right there, that's what I wish everyone who's listening to this would say, if anything sticks, that needs to stick. We have to get uncomfortable. I feel like one of our problems, especially with social media lately, is that no one wants to be uncomfortable. No one wants to do the work. They see the results and they want the results without doing the work. And to do the work means you've got to unwind your current paradigm, wrap it up in a pretty bow, throw it on the garbage disposal and put on a new avatar. Yeah, I use like three different analogies right there. But we have to be able to move outside of that, which means discomfort is not this great big rapacious energy coming in. Discomfort is a duet Mm. and discomfort must be danced with. It must be integrated. 
in order to experience growth. What you see of me and what people see of you is an incredible amount of discomfort that you had to push through, work through in order to be the version that you are today. I love that. Discomfort is a duet. It's a dance. Yes. Like thinking about that visually and thinking about how you can also invite that in, like you said before, inviting in the shadow, inviting in the work, because until you do, it's going to feel really clunky. It's going to feel like we're not in sync with this, this thing that is important to your development, to your growth. Yes, absolutely. And when it comes to discomfort, because you will know when you are in discomfort, when you have a strong visceral reaction to something that makes you uncomfortable. Whoa, you're challenging my beliefs. But there's a spark of your beliefs that says I'm uncomfortable, but I can see a little bit of truth in that. But I do not like how that happened. I don't like how it feels. I don't like what's going on versus a very uh, um, critical mind uh, that says, oh, sorry, uh, a mind that has a lot of criticism that might say absolutely nothing that you say is going to make me change my mind. You know, and if you're working with an individual like that, or if you have those kinds of opinions, then no problem. If you want to work with us later at a, at, at a different date when you are ready to kind of step into this brave unknown world, then that would be the time. But right now, when you don't want to make any change, then don't make any change, and 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 continually yield the results that you're that you're yielding, which is bad health and more. Are you? Alex, have we talked about the analogy of the lobster? Oh, yeah. I love that one. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Let's talk about it. So in the analogy of the lobster, the lobster, which is actually a very soft, squishy crustacean creature that lives on inside of a shell, inside of an exoskeleton, right? What ends up happening is that lobster will live until its growth becomes so big, it becomes uncomfortable. And that stress response, that chemical stress response is what makes the lobster go find some shelter, create a sense of movement to move outside and molt outside of that shell that no longer serves itself. And then it goes into an extreme uh, stage of vulnerability until the new shell hardens. And We know that this happens in nature, yet we feel like it is unnatural to us. Stress? No way. I'm going to back away from that. Stress? No way. I'm not going to deal with that. And then what ends up happening, let's let's take it back to shadow work, what ends up happening in the body is when we tune into all those different maladies that are happening in the body, when I work with doctors, I have found that approximately 96% of all malady that I know that I can see in the body is emotionally induced. What does that mean? Now, when I'm working with scientists and doctors, and they'll include me into the room with the patient, and the patient will say, can you talk to my doctor about some of the things that you've been saying? Or I've had doctors say, hey, Kimo, we're interested in working with you about this. When I tune into that client's body or the patient's body, and I'm able to identify certain things going on, then I'll look to the doctor and I say, you're most likely going to ask me about the right side of their liver, aren't you? And they'll say, she's got cancer on the right side of her liver. How did you know that? Because there's emotional memory stagnation in that right side of the liver, which tells me, because I know what the emotion looks like, it's a color zone. And because of that gives us evidence that that's where the malady is. And from there, we're able to recognize, wait a second, 
if I am moving away from my stress response, if I am shying away from the actual work, am I helping myself? No, I'm only covering it up like a Band-Aid temporarily without giving it room and the oxygen to breathe and to expand and to dance within Mm -hmm. that stress response. Now, we're not negating stress. We're not negating trauma because it's part of our human experience. But what is not in our human experience is to sit in it and keep it underdeveloped. Because then karmically, when we talk about karma, then guess who coming back? (laughs) And that can come in the form of a pattern. That can come in the form of a human being who delivers the pattern. That can come in the form of why is this always happening to me? And what would you say to the person that like is meeting the external stimuli, let's say they're meeting the stress and they're scared to go further, what would you tell them to do? Like, what's the next step? Good. When we are getting to that place where, okay, I'm interested in doing the work. This is very hard for me. I can feel myself at the very edge of the cliff. What we do then is we say, wonderful. Now be curious about it. Be curious about what, how far away is that edge? Be curious about when the foundation of that edge starts to become less stable. Be curious. Because all intelligence is good intelligence. Mm -hmm. All intel is good intel. Get to know it with a curious mind. And guess what? When you allow yourself to become curious about the impression of emotion that you are feeling, somehow your brain begins to be a little bit more balanced between its subjective perspective and its objective Mm -hmm. perspective. I love that because curiosity invites play, invites openness, invites, uh, and we think about curiosity a lot of times in the span of a conversation. I'm a curious person. I'm, I'm curious to know more. I'm curious to know more about you. And our lessons are often delivered in the form of a human being. Be- so that's, I, I disagree with you vehemently. So I actually am curious mm-hmm. to know a little bit more about how you got there. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And I'm curious to know mm-hmm. more about your experience. You know, that yeah. is something that's been, especially in the political climate of the last few years, we've been conditioned, programmed to mm-hmm. completely shut off conversation with those who we do not agree with, which has only exacerbated this Absolutely. pain and this suffering and this malady that is really in our nation. Mm-hmm. Right? Or our world. We talked about this the other day about the idea of cancel culture. And though I have very, you know, a vast array of political beliefs, I do not agree with cancel culture. I don't agree with that. And and I actually never have. When I started to study recidivism rates with, you know, with people who return to jail because they haven't been completely rehabbed, we have a tendency to negate an entire life based on a series of events and a series of circumstances and a series of choices. I don't want to negate anyone's entire life, even with people that I vehemently disagree with. I do not want to negate that entire life expression. I want to focus inward on what I'm uncomfortable with. And that's it. The canceling the entire person, that doesn't make any sense to me. Where is the growth? And there's There's no no compassion. Like who would want that done to them? Right. Like we're human being to be human is to err is human, as the famous saying goes. And 
it's just a matter. It, it keeps people really scared and and in that in that shell, not wanting to molt and grow. Um, but I, I was also reflecting on this the other day because cancel culture happens with celebrities oftentimes. And we were talking about cancel culture in relationship to Lizzo and the current climate with at least when we're recording this episode, when Lizzo's going through um, yeah. kind of a public backlash um, accountability, let's say, from her dancers. And so yeah. the other aspect of celebrity, and let's talk about social media having a hand in this. And I, I've been reflecting on this with TikTok mm-hmm. too. So TikTok is, I believe, a big app that can be very helpful, but it's also a mode of distraction, essentially. And we can think about where it was developed, why it was developed, and all of that. And a large part of the distraction that can come from TikTok is through fame. Fame is a drug, right? It's blown people up into these celebrities, celebrities that were already celebrities into much bigger celebrities and so on and so forth. And what also comes with that is a bunch of uh, people around you, let's say an echo chamber who are going to pump you up, who are going to give you the inflation, right? Cause their livelihood might come from your income too, right? You're right. right. You're doing a right, right. great job. Yes. Express your sexuality. Yes. Do that in front of every single person. Right. And sometimes that's not good. That puts us much further away from our moral compass because cancel cancellation comes from what? A disconnect with moral values in some way. Right. And again, we're not, we are not condoning behavior that is, uh, that is right. Exactly. We're not condoning bad behavior. But again, we have to remember that with everyone's shadow, all behavior that is not in high vibrancy comes from somewhere. We'll use politics for an example. I adamantly disagree with Marjorie Taylor Greene, 100%. And every, every policy that she says, every, every uh, conversation that she has, because someone like me sees what vibration is inside of the body, all I see is a series of unresolved trauma. Now, she hasn't asked me to tune in, so I have to work really hard to not ethically tune into her. But when she puts herself up on a pedestal, I adamantly disagree with her. However, I would never negate that entire individual as a human. Because what am I doing? I am stating to the cosmic, to the universe, universal energy around me, is I'm only going to pick and choose what I like. And I'm going to completely negate the experiences and the duets of discomfort that are happening all around me. And I don't want to be around any discomfort. I would be completely contradictory if I did that. So I won't do that. No matter how much I disagree with her policies and politics, I'm not going to negate the entire person. Ultimately, one, we are all one. We are all like one organism and all come from this incredible source energy. And there's a... There's a ton of individualism that we have, but if we're canceling one, we're also kind of saying, I'm willing to cancel something about myself. I'm willing to not see one aspect of myself. Um, I'm willing to hate one aspect of myself. And that's shadow, right? That's all shadow. Uh, One of my problems with what has been happening with Lizzo is that before actual 
evidence has been substantiated. Everything is canceling her. She's being discontinued from this and from that and then and this because no, everyone is afraid of being connected to her name. Yet, and, and let's say the evidence does come out that she, what she's accused of actually happened. Even if that evidence comes out, then there's the rehab of the life and the soul. And we're negating all of that. Right. <laughs> I don't agree, I don't agree with, with, that. with that either. It's, it's very, it's interesting because I do feel like the pendulum has to just swing back to some sort of medium. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed, please consider subscribing and or writing a review on the platform you listened on. And if you know someone who would really benefit from this episode, please share. All resources discussed will land in the show notes along with our socials. And until next time, talk soon.